This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the, the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. If he's playing well, he's a guy you want around your setup. And um, yeah, really, really good to see him uh, back in and get an opportunity in the setup. I think it's a good move by Andy Farrell to say, listen, yes, you didn't make it in here. And Crowley's obviously jumped you in the pecking order, but this is far from over. I think that's what it says, John Will. So um, yeah, very pleasing for him. After getting last weekend off, preparations are now in full swing for Ireland's trip to Italy this Saturday. As Andy Farrell side look to make it three Six Nations wins out of three as they go in search of a Six Nations Grand Slam. Will Slattery here and on tonight's episode of The Left Wing, myself and Luke Fristrell will be joined by former Italy international Ian McKinley to discuss their improvement over the last year and what Ireland can expect in Rome this weekend. But first, Luke, I suppose a few Six Nations talking points to touch on. You know, Joey Carberry getting added back into the squad his exile wasn't that long. Obviously, you know, he's still a bit down the pecking order, but interesting to see how he bounces back now that he's back in the environment. Yeah, no, it is. Look, I think he's actually bounced back, Will. Uh, you know, interested to hear your opinion on that as well. I think, you know, in that Munster jersey, he's probably been afforded a few more opportunities straight away, um, which, you know, hasn't always been the case with the likes of Ross Byrne, who maybe has to fight it out with other with another couple of operators. And now I know Crowley's there in Healy, but generally speaking, you know, Carby has had a free run at that 10 jersey. He's had a chance to play in a Munster team that's, you know, coming into some form, a bit of confidence. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, very pleasing for him to be back in and... and um, yeah, look, anytime you see a player kind of bounce back like that, I always think it's 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 great to see. And I think, look, this journey isn't over for for, for Carby by any means. I think this this fight with, with Byrne and and, uh, and Crowley goes on. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in the picture. Uh, look, you know my views on Carby and where his best position is, possibly. I think it's always a fullback, but he's still a brilliant rugby player. And, um, you know, you can't just, like, a player of that caliber, Ireland can't just toss someone like that aside. Uh, if he's playing well, He's a guy you want around your setup. And um, yeah, really, really good to see him uh, back in and get an opportunity in the setup. I think it's a good move by Andy Farrell to say, listen, yes, you didn't make it in here. And Crowley's obviously jumped you in the pecking order, but this is far from over. I think that's what it says to him, Will. So um, yeah, very pleasing for him. Yeah, and obviously at second row, you know, Ty Byrne being ruled out. Like, he's a major loss. Like, I, I know there's good replacements in Ian Henderson and and potentially Ryan Baird coming into the mix as well for, for, for this weekend. But I just, I'm just, I'm just gutted for Tyg Byrne. Like he, he's, he's had a tough. It took him a long time to get into that Ireland team and to, and to nail down that place. And obviously Ireland going for a potential Six Nations title, and for him to miss out and the form he's been in, it, it's tough for him and the team. Yeah, no, it is. Like, look, he's, you know, for some of the things that we probably don't see from Byrne like the things you get back you know he, like he's not a huge man for a second row uh, pairing in international rugby and maybe we lose out a little bit on the weight um 
but God Almighty, does he give you so much around the pitch? Like, like Ireland will seriously miss those turnovers, and whoever comes in, uh, you know, to to take his spot, like he is a moments player for this for this Irish team. He dig, he's dug them out of a few holes at different, like really key stages. So, um, you know, if it's Henderson, which it probably likely is, uh, you know, big shoes to fill. Uh, what it does mean is there's an exciting opportunity for some players who are playing brilliantly. Like, does Baird come in because he covers a bit of both? Um, I'd love to see a bit of Coombs in there, but I just I can't see a gap for him at this point. Um, Treadwell is another guy who's obviously been added to the squad as well. I, mean, I think he's probably far enough away at this point. But look, I think there's lots of uh, there's lots of good players there who've actually proven themselves in a green jersey uh, to a certain extent. Uh, obviously, Henderson definitely has, but um, and a few there with a, with a bit to prove. There's a nice balance behind him. I think he's probably made that jersey his own at this point. But big opportunity for someone now, uh, you know, at a very key juncture in this World Cup journey. You know, if you if Henderson comes in and shoots the light out for the last three games, um, what does that mean? Like he's a very senior player. Does that mean now he is the number one? Um, I'd say if he puts in some big performances, it's probably hard to, to deny him that, um, despite how well Bernie's been playing. So, look, there's loads of interesting little subplots, isn't there, uh, in, in the last couple of weeks in terms of selection and World Cup and, you know, who's going to be in, who's going to be out and who's, you know, timing their run perfectly. For all the in- injuries Henderson has had, this could this could be timed perfectly for him to have three big matches to finish off the tournament and maybe sneak his way back into the starting team. So, uh, really interesting to see how all these guys, who he picks first of all, but how they play as well. Will it's always interesting the break week it leaves you wanting more. Uh, what's that like from a player's perspective? Like, do, do you get to switch off, or is it just a kind of a two week build up versus your regular match build up? Probably depends on the coach and how you've played the uh, <laughs> in the first two matches. Um, you know, if you do well, like Ireland have, I think generally you can kind of switch off quite nicely. There was no panic probably getting back into camp. Um, some coaches, even if you play badly in those, they like to have a breakaway anyway, just to give people, you know, because you've probably been in there three weeks pretty solidly. Um, you know, up to, up to that point, the week before the kind of first build up to the first match. So it's a long period to be away from families and stuff like that. So generally a refresh, regardless of whether you're playing well or badly, is useful. Sometimes they might feel like, look, tactically or whatever, we're not there. We actually need a bit more time together. But generally they do stick to the plan. Looks like Ireland do maybe a three or four day camp, I think. Maybe maybe a three day camp. Um, that seems to be the, the method they have been using. Uh, over the last couple of years and seems to work well for them seems to give them a bit of bit of time away back home with the with the with the family you can kind of re- refresh the body and the mind and come back into camp raring to go and then usually a day or two before you get back into the uh sunday night in carton house and kind of prepare for the big week that's in it so um yeah i think you can switch off to answer your question directly i think lots of people some people are better uh, than others at it um oftentimes there's some of the bigger <laughs> players will often have lots of media duties and things like that so maybe their mind is slightly still on the game if they're doing a few interviews and things like that so obviously johnny Sexton on the late late but we know that doesn't bother him he's at this stage of his career he's probably never switching off but um yeah look it's probably a different from 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 guy to guy will depending on whether you've got media duties but i think most of them will be pretty refreshed and i think it's a tried and trusted method at this stage the the irish team has been really well managed from that side of things for for quite a long period of time and it was the same in my time there will yeah one thing i'd like to get your opinion on luke considering you played in six nations is like the, the schedule at the moment is two matches a break one match a break and then two matches would it be better to have kind of two matches two matches and then finish with one game kind of building anticipation to that final fixture 
Uh, I don't think so, actually. I think it's nice. To, I think for the body as well, it's nice to get the, the two-week, or the, well, probably more like a, a week break before the, the middle game, then a week break probably after it as well, all in all. I think it freshens you up nicely, and I think, um, you know, Having that little bit of continuity between the fifth, the the kind of fourth and fifth game, um, you know, I think it keeps the momentum going in the public's mind. You know, you have that that you know, for example, if Ireland are going for a Grand Slam and the in 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 the fifth match of the tournament on the last weekend, um, you know, having had the game before, all the excitement of maybe putting in a big performance there, um, heading into that uh, that England game, um. I, I like that competition format, and I think it suits from a publicity perspective as well. I think it sits well on lots of different, uh, you know, lots of different issues that you come across with a very condensed rugby calendar these days and a very physical game. So, I think it hits a lot of the right notes. Uh, I always enjoyed it, and um, a nice little intense way to finish. And if you finish on a high, which I've been lucky to do on a couple of occasions, um, there is no better feeling. Uh, the body's exhausted, the mind's tired, but geez, there's no no celebration like a like a victory celebration after a Six Nations, after all the hard work put in for you know the guts of kind of nine ten weeks. It's um it's a really really special competition. I love the structure of it. Yeah, fair enough. Actually, that's a good point around kind of the, having the back-to-back weeks to finish off and kind of build that extra bit of momentum. You know, it, to be fair, has always worked well in the past. So I, I take your point on that. You know, obviously, we're going to be touching on Ireland versus Italy with Ian in a few minutes. But kind of a big talking point heading into the weekend is Wales and England and obviously the potential that Wales might go on strike. It's a, a pretty mad situation. Like, What have you made of it just from watching from afar? Ah, oh, look, I think this has kind of been building for a while with Welsh rugby, hasn't it, Will? I think it's been bubbling under the surface. I think, um, you know, whatever's happened with the regions, it's just the interest levels or how they divided them up originally, they just don't sit along natural kind of fault lines, if you like, between the different Welsh, re- you know, the, the traditional Welsh club um, clubs. So, um, yeah, it's just for a rugby for a rugby obsessed nation, um, the regions have never really captured the imagination, or they've never really seen the footfall in the stadiums on a consistent basis. Will, um, and I think we're probably seeing a bit of the, a bit of the fruits of that. You know, the like the, the national team still gets great crowds, always will, uh, and has overachieved for a long period of time based on what their provinces have done. Um, and you know, I think the financial, the, the way they've kind of financially structured things, it just it seems to have not really been based in anything that's really concrete. You know, it seems to be you know relying on kind of benefactors and things like that at different stages to kind of bail clubs out. Um, so that model has been broken for for quite a while, I think, and we're probably just seeing it all come to a head at a really really bad time for them. Like they needed this Six Nations, they needed to hit the ground running, they needed a, you know a a nice tidy camp with kind of a smooth transition from coach to coach, even though they're bringing in someone who's very familiar with the setup. There has been a lot of turmoil the last couple of weeks, you know, in Welsh rugby and in a world cup year as well, Will, um, you know, they needed to, to have a, you know, a smooth six nations with some good performances um, in my mind, particularly towards the end of the competition when Gatlin's had, had a chance to do that. This kind of interruption at this point is very very disruptive to them, and it's really disappointing for them. I mean, there's some heartbreaking stories about you know certain players in really who are probably going to be in financial difficulties now over the next little period, and you know in precarious situations from a financial perspective with you know a career in the balance with an injury at the wrong time, or, or you know and things like th- of, of that nature. Will so um, really really worried for them, and uh, you just hope this fixture gets played in the weekend. I think that'd be it's a it's a nice bit of leverage for them, but I really think it would create probably a bit of bad will i don't really think that helps their case um 
you know, from a, from a public perspective. I'm sure they hope that something gets resolved before that, but it looks like it's more complex than that. Um, and it doesn't look like an easy fix. So I'm really worried about it. I mean, Wales is one of the great rugby playing nations um, in, in the world, Will. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm really kind of worried for, for the game over there. Yeah, like and in terms of the players in the squad, like as you mentioned there, there have been reports of, you know, kind of quotes about one player maybe on antidepressants because of the, the uncertainty around the financial situation, like in the contract situation. Like I haven't been in professional dressing rooms yourself. Like can you kind of empathize with this uncertainty that they're all feeling and how they don't know what their situation is for next season and they're expected to go out and perform and play in, in front of a full house on Saturday? Yeah, no, I've had a few interesting ones. Coaches talking about my contract in the changing room in front of another player, the numbers and everything um, while I was injured. Yeah. So trying to press me. So yeah, and I was a few, I've had a few bad, you know, look, it's, it's it just happens. It's the nature of probably sport a little bit. I, that was a, a particularly, um, sour, left a sour taste in my mouth, certainly at that stage. Now I got over it, but it's, yeah, it's very worrying time. You know, when you're, you know, your, your career, I think you don't realize how precarious it is. And, you know, you do want to be able to capitalize on good form. Like if you're an international player, a good six nations can really, you know, spark a couple of extra, you know, like extra money in your, in your contract situation um, or a November series. If you're injured for those periods and you're, you know, you, you've decided maybe not to negotiate in November, December, and your contract is ending in June and you're saying, do you know what? I'm going to wait for that six nations. You know, if I get in that team, I play well, you know, that put, you know, I'm taking a risk, but, um, that put me in a really strong negotiating position, and that'll be there, there's there's that side to it too, Will, where that hasn't worked out for me, or I got injured playing brilliantly and got injured in the first training session or whatever, you know, of the Six Nations, and you've a contract to negotiate. Um, so it's very concerning. It can get you down. I can completely see how someone would be, you know, maybe taking something to to you know, I don't know, maybe get them out of some kind of funk that a situation like this has created. It's it's different to other jobs, Will, really, in that. You probably face this. You have to face this kind of uncertainty down quite a lot in a rugby career. They're only kind of you know year long, two year long contracts, oftentimes. And um, every time you go out in a rugby pitch, you're facing you know the prospect of you know serious injury and the implications of that. Um, and if you're kind of in a situation where you're playing hardball at the negotiating table, yeah, you can put yourself in a very um, stressful situation uh, with young families and things like that. Thankfully, I only ever really had myself to look after during my rugby career. But I would say the pressure of looking after a young family and worrying about you know going out and playing rugby and not getting injured is uh, very taxing on the mind. So we hope that person, whoever it is, is um, you know make, makes it makes a recovery there quickly. And uh, yeah, look, we hope that situation gets resolved from a, you know on, on a, in a wider context. Uh, and uh, you know, in, in Welsh rugby, because um, very, very concerning. They're a big player in the in the world game. They they punch above their weight population wise, and um, they they're they're one to my mind. You know, Wales are always one of the superpowers in rugby. You know, they're they're usually a great watch, and um, yeah, we hope they get it that they get it solved pretty quickly. Yeah, lots of interesting storylines for sure. And we're now going to continue our Ireland versus Italy preview by being joined by former Italy international Ian McKinley. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. No worries, Will. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm sure you're very much in demand on, on weeks like this when uh, Ireland uh, take on Italy. And good to get you on at a time when there's a lot more positivity around the Italian team now. You know, obviously the, the big wins in 2022 against Wales and Australia, that first game against France, you know, very promising performance. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of factors at play, but for you, what's kind of the driving force behind this recent upsurge? Yeah, I think um, it's just really good seeing sort of the young players that have been talked about the last few years with the 20s sort of, coming into fruition a bit more um you know no more so than 
Capuzzo, who, you know, everyone is sort of raving about and he's been playing really well with Toulouse and with Italy the last year or so and Lamaro, the captain. And, you know, there just seems to be a bit more positivity. Like Kieran Crowley, who's the, the coach, you know, he's he's sort of demanding, I think, a bit more uh, positivity with ball in hand. And, and uh, it's sort of, you know, if you're an Italian fan, it's obviously a bit more exciting. And, and thankfully, you know, there hasn't been you know, the game over at half time, basically, you know, it's um, particularly that France game, obviously five points at the end. So just sort of makes, you know, obviously the competition a bit more, a lot more interesting and hopefully, you know, Italy pick up a win in, in one of the last three, uh, three remaining games. Yeah. And the young players you mentioned there, like when Italy had success in the past, it was kind of built on like, you know, veteran forwards or, you know, that, that the kind of those guys who had been there for the long haul. Like, how exciting is it to have this new generation? As you mentioned, the 20s have picked up some major scops over the last couple of years in the Six Nations. And for these guys to translate that into the senior setup, getting a couple of big scops, like that, that must be massive for the, even the rugby culture in the country to have this new breed of player coming through. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that Wales game was obviously a huge weight off, um, not just you know, those players for who, you know, that had been involved in the 30 plus games, you know, the, the losing streak. Um, but again, I suppose a lot of the young guys, they're I suppose trying to create their own little bit of history and their own new identity with the team. And, um, you know, f- for me looking at the games, it's just exciting to see the way that they're trying to play. Like maybe against England, they caught, they got caught behind the game line, um, you know, uh, a few times, probably more than they, they should have. But, you know, if you're to look, Again, sort of harping on about it, like I think Stephen Varney's the who's the scrum half is the one that's passed the ball the most. Now, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's always the right option, but they're just trying to play and sort of back whatever skills that that they've been focusing on the last couple of years. And um, you know, so as I said, it's just making it a lot more competitive and a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, look, like it is a big thing to have it, you know, as Ian says, more competitive. And, you know, it's a stretch to say they're going to go and maybe beat Ireland because Ireland are in a really good place at the moment. But the fact that it's even kind of maybe there could be a bit of competitiveness to it is a, a welcome change. There's certainly generally like a, like a different proposition over there. We saw that on the opening weekend uh, against France. Um, I agree with everything that, that Ian said. You know, they're, they look like they're playing with. Um, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more confidence. Um, you know, I think against France, particularly, there was a few occasions where, um, you know, to start again, they were the architect of their own kind of downfall in certain respects. They were just a little bit loose, and I think, you know, obviously Crowley has, has said to them that they need to be trying to play, and they need to, there needs to be that kind of endeavor. Um, I think that's right, but I do think they, 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 there's a journey for them to go on, similar to what Ireland went on in some respects. Obviously, they're coming from a different place. But if you think about Ireland at the start of the, the Mike Cat and the Andy Farrell era, they were definitely trying to play a little bit more, but they just weren't getting it right. They weren't picking their spots well, um, the skills and, and the confidence to deliver in a high-pressure Six Nations match. Um, that takes time to kind of build in. So uh, I think they need to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, I think it is great for the competition, as you say. Uh there's been that talk about Georgia and, you know, Georgia obviously have been very competitive the last while. Like, should they be coming in instead of Italy? Things like that. Um, but the last year has really put paid to that. It's quite down that chat. And I think they're they're trending in the right direction. It's really, really pleasing to see because I think, it, you know, it's one of the fixtures I always love. Like a trip over to Rome is a great, it's one for the fans. And the Italian team always play with great passion and um, not always allied with, with, with great skills, I think. But, 
I, it looks to me like they focused on that area, and I think they look like they really, really improved. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it's a it's a it's a real cracker of a game over Rome. Hopefully, a little bit of good weather and maybe uh, the ball being thrown around a bit. I think both teams seem to know only one way to play at the moment, so uh, it's teed up to be a really good one. Yeah, Ian, like you know, Luke mentioned it there. There was constant talk over the years of relegation. Should there be a playoff between Italy and Georgia? Like, and obviously you were in the Italian squad. Like, did did it annoy the players these conversations being had about the team? And uh, not really, because it's the reality of the situation. And you know, even I think Kieran, the, you know, the head coach even said at his press conference, you know, he, he's not necessarily happy with uh, the structure of Italian rugby. You know, which I thought took. A huge amount of bravery, uh, bravery at the start of uh, a championship to to say that you know they realize, uh, you know he realizes that Italy in order to be a lot more competitive need to get those uh, structures in place. But yeah, I mean, I don't really read anything into world rankings, but I know Georgia have gone a, a place above uh, in in the couple of victories they've had there uh, recently in their competition. So yeah, there's always going to be chat, and you know as long as you know Georgia keep you know, picking off uh, victories like they had against Wales and stuff, you're, you're always going to have that conversation. Do, do I think necessarily it's going to uh, sort of change the the way that competition goes? I, I don't think so necessarily because I think if, if, if you were to, you know, swap or have a playoff, you, you could just be getting almost like a, a Watford situation in football where it's just up and down the whole time, you know, just changing with those couple of teams. So, um, you know, Italy... Certainly, when I was in camp, anyway, even though results were hard to come by, you you did try and just focus on performance week to week. That was all you could do, and and all that sort of talk that was uh, done in the media or anything outside of that, you just didn't listen to it. You just had to focus on what you uh, what you had to do. Yeah, you you mentioned kind of structures there, like you know, for Irish fans who are going to be watching this weekend, you know, obviously you having played club rugby in Italy and for the national team, like how would you kind of explain how to the country is set up rugby wise like is in is there anything kind of unique to the italian system that irish fans might be surprised to learn do you think yeah i mean lucky luckily enough you know managed to you know see sort of both sides the irish setup and and the italian one so it's sort of first and foremost culturally it's massively different in terms of um how things are done in a sporting context you know ireland can be so proud of you know how much sport is done in school and you know primary secondary school in Italy things are a little bit different where it's sort of more clubs based and rugby you know would really struggle I think to break into the top 10 uh, sports in Italy when you you know pick up a, a newspaper La Gazzetta you know the main uh, sport newspaper if there's 50 pages 48 of them are, are about football uh, you might get one one page of basketball a half about volleyball the rest is just motorsports and then maybe a little couple two or three lines about rugby so it's really completely different where you know in ireland you've got a podcast every day about uh something and analyzing every little detail of the game which is great you know but it's 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 very very different over there so i think you know obviously italy's a behind in with ireland i mean there's obviously no doubt about that in ireland are reaping the rewards you know and playing some wonderful rugby like i mean luke touched on it a little bit just with you know how ireland started with mike cat and, and andy farrell and stuff but geez they're playing so well but it's culturally it's it's uh very very different but listen there's still a huge amount of registered players over there that want to compete and want to win games and want to do well in world cups and six nations and all that so there's never there's never any doubt in terms of the spirit and um, it's just sometimes the structure would 
uh, would let players down, I, I would argue. Yeah, I was thinking when you mentioned my cat there, you would have played under him in Italy, correct? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like what, what what did you make of him then? And, you know, in terms of the way he wants to play the game, what he tries to implement and, like, does it surprise you to see the success he's had with Ireland over the last while? No, it doesn't surprise me at all because he, he I think, you know, he, he challenges so much uh, skill and, and decision-making under, under pressure. I know everyone you know, sort of talks about heads up rugby and you need to have obviously a bit of structure within that, but he really does back what you do. And he can on a Tuesday morning, just come up with some of the most uh, random plays, which um, obviously we struggle to implement. Uh, like I, I can remember some like three man line outs he would do that, you know, we would never have done before that are just sort of totally random, like double switch plays, like almost, you know, I don't know if you played like the old Madden games where you had the double wraparound plays, like sort of random, <laughs> random things like that, that you're sort of going, okay, I can, I don't understand, but yet I can see where the space is and what you're trying to do. And I think Ireland are, you know, they, they've got such a high quality of player that, the, you know, Marshall obviously by Sexton, that they're able just to switch these things and work at them so much more effectively than maybe that we were at that time and, and, and certainly they're reaping the rewards. Um, and I think that the impressive thing from Ireland's point of view is that they can win in different ways now, which, you know, the question mark might've been, can Ireland compete with France's physicality? Well, against South Africa and then the recent game against France, they showed that they can play in a different way, you know, uh, keeping the ball in play and, you know, winning in different ways, which is really good for Ireland going into this World Cup. Yeah, and Luke, in terms of the Saturday, like it looks like Ireland are going to pick as strong a team as they can field. Obviously, a couple of injuries. Johnny Sexton might be available and one or two others, but Andy Farrell isn't taking Italy lightly. He's not going to experiment by all accounts, and he, he's just really targeting this win. It shows kind of the respect he's holding Italy in that he, he doesn't feel that it warrants maybe a couple of changes here and there. Yeah, but I think he has that kind of mindset anyway, Will, doesn't it? I think we've had this conversation a few times with Andy Farrell. I think he just goes out to win every game. I think he, he, he it's very rare that he picks a team that isn't the Ireland first team, I think, seems to mean a huge amount to him, uh, or else it's something else, or else it's his record, or something like that, because he rarely takes a chance, you know, unless he's forced to, uh, or unless he thinks it's deserved, or it's better for the team. Um, he is always picking the team to go out and win by the most points possible, from what I can see from him anyway. Um, so that's an interesting mindset to have. I mean, we're always concerned about people not getting enough game time, you know, have we blooded enough other people outside of the... 20 or so that he regularly uses um but yeah no it seems to be no real change there in mindset which which i quite like i can kind of see it too um you know it does leave you you know in a situation where you know an unusual situation possibly at a world cup where you have a two two or three big players like what happened in 2015 you know where you've kind of five of your kind of senior guys uh that kind of um go down and aren't available for your big qualifying match does it leave you a little bit skinny it might well do. It might well do. What it also might do is, um, you know, it might go the other way and it might breed in a massive confidence of the team where they have this momentum where they've just continued to win um, and they're almost finding it hard to lose at this stage, even when they don't play their best rugby. Um, so there's two ways this this way this kind of thing can go, Will. I, I think in terms of his selections, it's no surprise to me and I'm sure it's not a surprise to anyone on this podcast given, you know, he's fairly straightforward in his responses about this and he nearly always picks the strongest team available. So, um Makes for a great one. I think, you know, is it a reflection of Italy maybe being a little bit better? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's actually just how he how he's decided that the, the importance he's placed on the competition um, is probably what it's more a reflection of, Will. 
Yeah, you know, what do you make of that approach? Like, it, it's been kind of marked in the two November campaigns in 2021, 2022. I think he picked basically the same team all three weeks, which it would be unusual from that time of year, from what we've seen from previous Irish coaches. Do you like that approach of kind of just backing his 15 week on week? Or would you prefer to have seen at various times a few more alterations? Um, yeah, I suppose from someone who, you know, I spent more, uh, most of my time at international level on the bench. So I would have, you know, from a selfish point of view, preferred getting, <laughs> who you uh, telling? <laughs> a, few, a few more uh, rotations, obviously. But um, no, I think, you know, I agree with what Luke, Luke is saying there. And I think it, it shows just picking up on one of the points, how important it is to play first team rugby. And, you know, if you, you know, the number six jersey is Peter Armani's. What are you going to have to do to take the jersey off Peter Armani? Trying to get that, install that real uh, hard edge competition. And But everything is about momentum. And, you know, he's he's generating momentum. You look at France, who have maybe had a, a couple of stumbles there in, in the early weeks, and you already have the papers saying, you know, is France doing in Ireland uh, a few years ago and, and all this sort of stuff. You know, he's, he's Andy Farrell is just quietly going about his business and and as just any player you listen to talk about the team environment even if they're playing or not they're just saying it's the best team environment so he definitely deserves um you know a huge amount of credit yes could they come unstuck um the big question always is if johnny goes down but again like ross burns obviously just proven you know with uh his last kick in, in november and then the the cameo he got uh, a couple of weekends ago that he's you know more than capable and you know interestingly enough obviously he's he's got the most experience of backing up Johnny and been able to take over the team so um I think in terms of selection I think obviously Tyg Byrne been out that's you know Ian Henderson potentially in but it might be interesting to see Ross Byrne uh get a game if Johnny is is injured but I think that will they'll be the only tweaks that Andy Farrell will will do yeah Luke it's funny we were talking about like Johnny Sexton and whether he should play against Italy a few weeks ago and it looks like Andy Farrell's hand will be forced potentially and Johnny might be kept maybe for the Scotland game if he's if he's fit in time but again it could be a blessing in disguise that Ross Byrne gets the chance to start this game and run the team in a game that it's okay Italy is probably the easiest of the fixtures but it's still away from home there's a grand slam still alive so there's still pressure there to go out and deliver and deliver well. It, it's a kind of an opportunity to put down a marker as well. Um, you know, I think if they play well, they should, you know, they, they should win this one and they should win it well. But um, if they don't, like, Italy will put you under pressure. Italy will test your defence. They will, they, they, you know, they've proven in the last couple of weeks that they're going to continue to try things. Um, you know, if, they, if their decision-making is better and they don't kind of throw away opportunities or give away opportunities in their own half, um, you know, with kind of errant chips and kind of errant handling, um you know, they've proven that they can stay in the game for the kind of 80 minutes. You know, they're going to hang around. And, you know, if they do play well, if those decisions are better, they will stress you. And at home, if you get your backs up, you get that crowd uh, behind you, um, you know, this could be a pressurized one. So Ireland do need to deliver a big performance here. I think it's an opportunity for them to be really ruthless. It's something that Ireland haven't always been great at, that favourites tag will. Um, you know, generally we do deliver in this one. Uh, but we haven't always. Like, I played in matches in, in um, I don't, it wasn't Olympico. It was Stadio Olympico. I played in that loss in, in, in 13. Um, so you can get turned over here. So you've you got to be on, on the game and you've got to be uh, mentally in the right place. And I think it's really good practice um, for what needs to happen week to week in the World Cup. 
because you want to amass good points differences. You want to, you know, play well against some of the lesser teams as such, teams you should be beating. Um, and it, that'll give, help give you a bit of momentum coming into, say, a South Africa match or a Scotland match at the end of, of, of the pool. So these are important matches for Ireland to deliver on their potential uh, in terms of their, um, you know, their, their game and where they can bring it if they play to their poten- potential. So, um I'm really excited to see Ross Byrne in there. I think Ian's right. I think he's the natural successor. I think he does it more regularly. I think what what that does mean for the team is that most of them are Leinster players and will be used to playing with Ross Byrne as well. So naturally, this is probably an easier slide in for most of the team in terms of getting their timing of their runs off from and different things like that. So um, uh, yeah, I I think it's the right man in there at at, at this point in time. Um, And I think it looks like this will be an important one for him coming into a World Cup if Johnny isn't back for the weekend, which I don't looks like they probably won't take a chance at him, but we, we wait and see on that. So a big weekend for, for Ross Byrne to lead the team, and hopefully it's a, a big performance. Yeah, Ian, like as a former out half yourself, I'd be interested to get your perspective on what you think Ross Byrne's been doing well recently to get back in Ireland Reckoning, you know, and, and I know he didn't play a huge amount of game time so far in the Six Nations, but when he did come in, he has looked very assured. The team, you know, he, he steered them to a bonus point try in Wales. He steered them to a bonus point try in France and saw both victories, you know, very well. Like, well, what, what kind of jumps out to you in terms of just out half play when you see? Him? Uh, well, I think just he's just obviously grabbed the opportunity with both hands. So obviously, just coaches love big moments as well and, and clutch moments, and everyone talks about clutch kicks and everything like that. And you know, for him just to step up, you know, when he wasn't initially in the squad, you know, Andy Farrell would have loved that. You know, I think he's trying to. You know, with the bus being late uh, in Cardiff and all that sort of stuff, trying to create uh, an environment where things necessarily don't run smooth, because obviously on an international rugby pitch, it's not always uh, it's not always plain sailing. I think he, you know, Ross had a couple of tough games. You know, I think that one, the World Cup uh, warm up game against England when there was the drubbing, England, you know, hammered Ireland. You, 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 you know, he would have taken a huge amount from from that game and would have, you know, had to have watch that again probably begrudgingly but um you know he, he's obviously worked a huge amount on his game he's he's maybe taken the ball to the line a little bit more and he's always been a proven goal kicker and you just want someone in there who you know will do a job and he definitely uh, at this point in time is sort of the perfect person to fill that role and i think again yeah lukey's point is is spot on in terms of obviously if the higher percentage of players are coming from leinster it can be difficult to get that timing off nine and 10. And if you have someone there in such a pivotal position like that, it just makes everything go sort of so much quicker. So I think that just sort of helped uh, everything out. He looks like he's playing with more confidence to me, Ian. And it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this as well. He looks more assertive too. I think maybe it might have been even you, Will. I think possibly mentioned something about you know in the huddles, or maybe it was Keen Tracy possibly a couple of weeks back. You know, kind of giving more direction to the Lancer team, looking a little bit louder, a little bit more comfortable in his own skin in that in the setup there. Look, he's been an ever present there, but at the same time, in the key games, he kind of hasn't had the opportunities really, or that many of them. Um, this year looks a little different to me. I don't know if you've noticed anything. Uh, you know, when you're watching him. Uh, play in the, in that Leinster jersey. He looks like he's brimming with confidence at the moment, and and kind of understands his game, understands the team around him. Um, and you know that unbeaten record that Leinster have, like Ross Byrne is playing the majority of those games. I think he he he's definitely just looking a lot more ruthless, <laughs> to be honest. With like he, he yeah, as you say, you can see him in the huddles, and even you know some of the kicks he did against France, you know, in behind, and you just see him rallying the troops, and he he's 
you sort of get the sense that he 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 is someone who definitely believes that he deserves to be there. You know, maybe a few years ago, you could see that he was still sort of trying to find his feet maybe a little bit. He was still a little bit timid, but he really firmly believes that he's he deserves to be there. And uh, and this is his opportunity to stake his claim for whenever Johnny departs uh, the, 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 the team set up and everything. So this really, he, he probably sees it as his opportunity to lay down a marker to Farrell and the rest of the coaching staff to saying, saying I'm the person here and I, I will, t- I will take the team on. I think he'd have got a lot of confidence will as well from, you know, having to rebuild himself up from, I'm not going to say the bottom, but you know, those, those matches that Twickenham would have been a very lonely stage for someone like him. That was a long day at the office you know, four pack got pummeled, uh, really long day for your halfbacks in those kind of circumstances. And he paid the price for that for quite a while. Um, and then you go back to your province and, you know, like Joey Carberry, like you look at him, so he's got dropped, but he's got the opportunities now in, in the Munster team week on week. Whereas, you know, Ross Byrne for periods there was fighting with Frawley, fighting with his brother, you know, fighting everyone off, it seems, even to get time in Leinster. Seems to be he's taken a step forward versus those people. So even... You know, that confidence he would have got from rebuilding himself, you know, he would have rebuilt that on the pitch, which is still the most important place to do it versus the meeting rooms and and and, and the training paddock, you know. So I think um, a lot of positive moves for him. He's timed his run perfectly, I think. Uh, needs now a big one if he's in that starting 10 jersey to probably cement that second in command position behind, uh, behind Johnny Sexton. But all seems to be trending very positively for him. Yeah, and I think Ian's point about staking a claim for for the future is a good one too. Like Johnny Sexton is stepping away, we think, uh, at the end of the season in both club and country. So like a, a good end of season from Ross Byrne could really set him up for it could set up the rest of his career potentially. You know, he could go into the Six Nations in twenty twenty four as the main, you know, man to start for Ireland potentially and start for Leinster in a number of big games. So it, it'd be very interesting to see from that point of view even you know how that shakes out um Ian, anything else about ireland that's impressed you in particular over the opening couple of matches oh just sort of the, the pace in which they're playing at um is just on a different level to any of the other teams at the moment obviously france you know that game even though the scoreline probably maybe i dare say flattered ireland maybe a little bit you always felt that france could score from anywhere but they're just so impressive both you know, uh, in attack and defense. And the other, I think, really impressive thing is just the leaders that seem to be growing within this team, you know, uh, both on the starting team and off the bench, like even Finley Beelham, you know, everyone was talking about Tyke Furlong, you know, and he, he's come in and put in some really big performances. Keenan, Doris, Ringrose, you know, they're just playing out of their skin and they're actually going to a different level, um, which you know, for Irish supporters is obviously really exciting. Um, and, you know, fair play to to all the, the players and the coaching staff. They're really, whatever they're doing, it's it's working. And, and it's just about trying to get that time and I suppose, right, just come World Cup time. But they don't seem to be putting a, a foot wrong at the moment. And, and to be honest, just as a fan of, of, of rugby, it's a, it's a joy to be watching at the moment and just sitting back and, and admiring it. Yeah, when you were naming players there, you could have gone on for another uh, five, six, seven lads easily, and uh, it, w- it wouldn't have uh, been, been enough. Uh, just to go back to Italy for a second, Ian, like you know, we're talking about the positivity and some of the you know good results and the good young players. Like, where do you think the growth potential is in the team in terms of taking it on even further? Well, the growth potential is what's beneath that first team. So if we're to look at the current crop of twenties, you know they've had a couple of narrow uh, defeats in this year's Six Nations. 
Six Nations last year, Italy for the first time had three wins. So then that, that's your future block for, for the next part. Uh, it's just trying to get those foundations correct, which um, are probably still not in place as, as much as they should be, you know, at an at a academy level and an underage level. Uh, like if you remember, Italy is a massive country. You know, you go from from Sicily up to, you know, the north of Italy takes about sort of a 14, 15 hour drive. Uh, you know, it's a big, big country. And maybe there's certain areas that are, are not necessarily tapped into. Certainly the south of Italy is more uh, football orientated. And, and again, I think Kieran hasn't been shy in, in saying what he what he feels about the, the structure for Italian rugby. So I think, you know, you're not expecting miracles. You know, as I said, 30 plus uh, losses Italy went on and then getting the victory against Wales, you're not probably going to be expecting all of a sudden two, three victories like that. So it's just about putting consistency in their performance. So if you're to use France, the opening game as an example, you know, the first couple of tries were just ludicrous and, and so easy at international level. And you're having to do all the hard work to get, get yourself back into a test game and, and you know, put, giving yourself an opportunity to win. And it's just cutting out those opportunities. But, you know, I'm pretty hopeful for the future because when you've got Michele Lamoros, the captain, age 24, and he, he took that on when he was 23. And, you know, that was the same as Brian O'Driscoll when he was 23. You know, there are players around him that uh, are really talented. Paolo Garbisi, Capuozzo, um, you know, these young players and, and they're exciting Italian backs, some of them as well, which is, you know, we normally talk about Italy forwards. Um, that gives me certainly hope for the future, but it's no good, uh, you know, almost like Italy 10, 15 years ago, relying on Parise, uh, Mazzi, uh, Bergamasco brothers, Castro Giovanni, these players, uh, you know, you have to try and keep building and that's sort of going to be the challenge going forward. Hey, can I ask Ian as well, sorry, just in terms of the, the match this weekend, you're looking at this Irish team. Um, where would you be looking to attack from an Italian perspective or what areas of the game would you be looking to focus on to try and stymie the the, the, the Irish kind of momentum that no one has seemed to be able to arrest so far in the competition? Yeah, I think if we're to look back at the game last year, uh, obviously when Italy went down to 13 men, which um, sort of obviously spoiled the, the the game, but for the first 20 minutes, Italy put a huge amount of pressure at the ruck time. Um, now, I don't think they're as strong in that area because they are missing a couple of players uh, in the back row than they were last year. But I think that they're the only thing that Italy will try and look to do defensively anyway will just be try and slow that Irish ball because Ireland playing with a little bit of speed. We saw the first first half in Cardiff, they will just rip any team to shreds. We saw it even in down in New Zealand. So they'll try and put as much uh, pressure at, at, at rook time and just cut out their silly errors. Uh, but of course, Italy will know no, they're going up against the best team in the world at the moment, the form team. Um, and it would be almost so hard to try and predict where Ireland are going to going to attack because they've so many uh, avenues that they can, but they'll Italy definitely will try and get parity uh, in the scrum or try and out scrummage Ireland because that's been quite a, a decent area. Uh, Mall wasn't that good, but ruck time, that's they'll just try and slow everything down as much as possible and try and make, if Conor Murray starts again, uh, try and make his service as slow as possible. Ian, you mentioned the, you know, that long losing run that Italy had in the Six Nations before that Welsh win, and obviously you were part of the Italy squad for a period there yes. as well. Like, yes. how, how difficult was it, sorry for bringing up yeah. the memory, how difficult was it to keep kind of the, the morale up in the squad? Like, was it was it a tough place to be? Like, was it, were people kind of heads down going into training, or, or were they still managed to, I don't know, keep some positivity? Because as you said, it was 30-plus matches over six, seven years. Like, 
must be tough as a professional player to be in that environment. Oh, absolutely. I think the sort of saving grace for us was that Treviso was, uh, we were heading towards sort of playoff positions. So at least getting some sort of positivity when we were going back in between uh, in between those weeks, you'd maybe get a hit of positivity. And then, of course, it was difficult because you feel um, the weight of, of a whole competition on you and, and you almost feel that you're not taken seriously, which you you can understand when you see the results and you're, you, you'd seen some of the performances, um, absolutely. But again, you just have to try and... Uh, focus on the things that you knew uh, that were going to help you in the game and 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 if they if they went went your way then hopefully the you know the game would have been closer or you would have been at least within a within a shout um like i remember what the 2019 campaign we had we had one thumping in in twickenham but the rest of the games are sort of 10 points you know there or thereabouts so i mean there's four losses with 10 points and i'm not saying that that's that's good but each game you just f- try to focus on every little moment because you can't you can't uh, afford to switch off because the teams or the other teams are obviously just uh, just so good but you just kept going and you'd, you'd pride in, in the jersey and putting it on and and you know you fought like any other person would for 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 their uh, for their country or adopted country so that's uh, that's just what you have to do and was it tough going from say when you were in the Leinster environment when every week you'd be probably expected to win or certainly in the contention to win to going to that different environment where results are harder to come by and you're probably the underdog most of the time yeah well i mean at leinster winning was a was a habit and and it was just expected um in in italy losing became a habit which is a really tough nut to to crack both are tough things to 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 get out of you know uh just at different ends of the of the scale so um but that's sort of where you just have to you know, sort of believe in 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 what you're doing uh, as much as you can, as much as the coaches sort of instruct you to do as well, uh, without sort of going off too much on uh, off script. Because I think that probably was potentially something that we we would have done maybe a bit too many times, particularly in the defence and and just discipline. Like uh, discipline is <laughs> every Monday morning, whether it was with a, a zebra team with my. Uh, j4 j5 respective team that i played for <laughs> before sort of climbed the ladder you, you 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 talked about discipline it was the thing that was brought up the most and uh without that certainly at international level you're you're you could be scuppered so um you know that's again that's just something i think these new crop of players uh that's not something that they're uh falling victim to as much uh, but it certainly was a was a problem whenever i was there yeah and just as for your own kind of post rugby transition, I know you've done some coaching and and stuff. How have you found life away from being a professional player? Yeah, miss it most days. Uh, maybe not. Obviously, most players would say preseason. Um, but no, miss miss everything about it. To be honest, and just uh, the biggest thing has just been part of a you know a really tight knit group, and and you know was fortunate, you know, at Leinster, which is sort of there whenever, um, you know starting to win Heineken Cups and everything like that. And, and even Treviso, there was a good tight-knit community community there and a good player, um, uh, player-led player group. Um, so you just, you miss camaraderie and you miss all that sort of stuff. But yeah, coaching is definitely something that, you know, I want to want to get into and um, yeah, just sort of learning the trade in the, in the AIL. So the, the glamour fixtures <laughs> at the glamour venues. So uh, no, I'm happy enough doing that for the time being. But uh, obviously, yeah, it's something that I would look look to to continue in the future. So potentially like go into professional or professional setup? 
ah, oh, listen, who who knows where? Uh, sort of with my story, you you just don't know where life is going to take you. So, um, you know, it's it's just sort of trying to be a be a sponge as much as you were as a player. You try and gather up as much information. It's the same as as being a coach. But uh, yeah, listen, I. Uh, I would I would love to go back to Italy in some capacity in the future. I think there's great potential there. Um, there's some amazing players. Like people don't necessarily believe me when when I tell them there's some unbelievable skill that players can do that Irish players would struggle to do. And I I, I don't say that lightly. It's just structurally, um, you know, maybe uh, historically and all that. There there are certain things that are uh, maybe against Italy, but I would certainly love to try and help out in the future. But uh, uh, we'll see. And whenever a place has wine cheaper than water, it always helps. <laughs> and just before we let you go, then, how do you think Saturday will go then? Yeah, I think uh, obviously Ireland, if they play to their capacity, will win and win well. Um, I think Luke's point of Ireland being ruthless, yeah, is something that I think Andy Farrell will be demanding. And I think the player group will be demanding to show really where they are at. You know, they don't. You don't want a situation of you know ten points or fifteen points. I think Ireland will really be going to, you know, with with the utmost utmost respect as you have to. But uh, if they play to anywhere near their capacity, I think Ireland will win and win comfortably. So hopefully, uh, you know, all of my Italy <laughs> hat on. Uh, much as a surprise maybe to some people, but um, you know, I, I I just hope that it's a competitive game and it it, it doesn't get to half time and there's already a big points difference. But uh, we'll see how it goes. But I think Ireland will yeah definitely win. Yeah. Great stuff, Ian. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries. Well, I'd like to thank Luke and Ian for joining me on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. We will be back tomorrow with another podcast talking about the Ireland team announcement ahead of the Italy game on Saturday. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.